0: Welcome to the Thy Neighbor podcast, conversations with everyday people who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. I am your host and occasional solo caster, Tracy Robbins King. If you are inspired by this episode and someone comes to mind as you listen, share this with that person. If you have benefited from the podcast, please like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. Your ratings, reviews, and shares make a difference and allow this podcast to reach more remarkable people like you. Matthew Webster is someone I met on Instagram. Okay, not really, but sort of. Steph Scholl is our mutual friend, and he told me how she had gone to see Matt after he received his endowment. I Instagram stalked him And I was completely mesmerized by Matthew. He is an incredible person. He's an artist. He is in graduate school, as well as life coach training, which of course speaks to my heart. And he has such a remarkable story. He is an inspiring person. I am super honored to have you, Matthew, on the podcast. Can you tell us what Christ has done for you?
1: Oh, my goodness. Tracy, thank you. You're amazing so first off thank you for having me on this what has christ done for me what hasn't he done i think is the question right like what has he not done from giving me breath to atoning for everything i do and honestly it's one of the most beautiful things you can think about the question i i ask myself every morning because i try and bring myself into the spirit is to relate to christ and I say to myself, Matt, if you were in the garden with him, what would you feel? What hasn't he done for me? And that's, that's a question I, I love and asking myself to put myself in the garden every day.
0: That's so beautiful. <laughs> I'm surprised <so> <laughs> that you, you actually think about that on a day-to-day basis, the actual garden.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to start every day with recognition and appreciation and i've learned that from someone who's not even lds someone who i don't know if understands his relationship with god someone i consider a brother a mentor and someone i struggled through a pretty horrible event with and he's just been a positive influence on me and so his perspective of starting each day with a positive message just carried over and to me that meant starting each day Understanding the atonement and understanding Christ and connecting that way.
0: I love it. It's amazing what we can learn and glean from other people and how they can influence <sighs> literally what we do on a day to day basis.
1: Absolutely.
0: Tell us about getting to the temple and the path that it has taken <laughs> to get there.
1: Yeah, this is an interesting path, one that I honestly would have never considered. In fact when i went and got my endowment my mom said to someone there she's like i didn't ever think i would see this day in my life and she thought she was preparing herself to see it afterward because i was married to a man for a long time and in fact after i got divorced i still hadn't even thought about church hadn't thought about temple i was just trying to heal and find what I wanted in life. And I'll, I'll share this story with you. It was in late September, early October, just last year, I was driving down a Porter Walkwell Road in Harrowman. And I looked across the valley and I saw the Draper Temple. And a voice came to me that said, hey, Matt, I need you to come see me here. And <laughs> I recognized the voice and I said, you know, God, I appreciate that. But unless they give temple recommends to people who don't go to church, I'm not going to be there. And I had this conversation on my, this drive from that point to when I got home, going back and forth and saying, you know, I I would love to go, but I'm just, I'm not going back to church. I'm adamant that I won't go back to church because they don't teach the way I learn. They don't learn the way I learn. There's nothing that I can relate to. They're just not going to have what I've been through. Well, sure enough, I said, if you can change my heart and you can soften my heart, then I'll go. (laughs) And first I went to a singles ward and I didn't realize it was a 19 year old to 29 or 30 year old church. And I walked in and I was like, okay, see God, I was right. Like, look at these little kids. I don't relate to them. They don't relate to me, life experience, which is funny because that's not true. The first person I met in that ward, Uh, was this little 19-year-old going to UVU studying psychology. (laughs) And so I was like, oh, of course, God's going to prove me wrong. But on my way out, I was like, yeah, I'm not coming back here. And I saw a sign that said there's a ward for 30-plus-year-olds. And and I went, and I will tell you, Steph, who our mutual friend, was one of the reasons I kept going back to church uh, after I went to that ward. Because I remember telling the bishop, hey, I'm here to get a temple recommend and I feel like I need a calling, but I'm not making friends and I'm not connecting with anybody. So this is the, the way it happened for the temple. And I said to him, let's set a date. And we set January 12th, which was one year exactly from the date I filed divorce papers um, to go through the temple. And so that was on October 31st which was I think a Sunday. Anyway, we took a picture of my recommend. And in that meeting, it was probably the most spiritual I had felt in years when it came down to the church. And I just dedicated it. I said, Matt, you made a goal because you were invited to go to the temple. God wants you there. And it's not forced because I'm getting married or going on a mission. It was an invitation. And I stuck to it. And so it was a beautiful process. And that's what got me to the temple. And Past events happened, but I believe everything happens to bring us closer to the atonement of Christ, and and ultimately, it got me to go to the temple.
0: That's so beautiful. How was your experience in the temple? How did it go?
1: Oh my goodness! So I I kind
0: of—I
1: don't say know what to expect, but I had um, a cool experience in Hawaii back in August when I actually was on the temple grounds, and, and I can't say the name. I'm sorry but I think it's La'i Temple and I'm probably slaughtering that. But I was on the grounds there and I had an impression to go feel the temple, touch the temple. And then finally, when I went through the Draper Temple and uh, just a couple of weeks ago, nothing felt like a surprise to me. Nothing felt different. I actually felt the most peace I've ever felt and the most acceptance I've ever felt. It was like, it wasn't just that everyone was equal. It was that everyone was, equally loved and loved everyone equally. And that's what was just so amazing to me.
0: Wow. I heard you say in, when you're telling the story about how you didn't feel like church taught you the way you learn or that they teach the way you want to be taught. What do you mean by that?
1: I connect very deeply into symbolism and I feel like there's a lot of doctrinal stuff that is taught. And I kind of look at it even though the Old Testament has symbolism, I kind of look at it like the two books of of the Bible. Like there's the Old Testament that's just like hard and sometimes difficult to read. And it's very like to the point. And then there's the New Testament, which is a lot of, of Christ's teachings himself. And it's more compassionate and it's more relatable. And it's about the human experience and that spiritual connection. And there's a lot of that in the Old Testament, but I feel like the, I look at the, the Bible, kind of how I look at learning. There's learning through fear and there's learning through compassion. In fact, in Jude, it talks about at the end, mm-hmm. people will be taught either through fear or compassion. And I thought about that. I'm like, I learned through compassion and a lot of what either just the LDS church or other religions teach is through fear. In fact, let me, I just want to share with something I read this morning, <laughs> And I, I think it's kind of cool to think about. And it's in 2nd Nephi twenty-seven twenty-five, 27, 25. And it says, we uh, must draw near to God with our mouths, speaking of him with love and honor. And then I just wrote some notes here. And it talks about at the end, but the precepts of men are teaching through fear. And it's, it's, we have to get rid of ourselves, all these precepts of men of fear of teaching this way and draw our hearts closer to God through compassion. And that's what I mean by like, when I said to God, I was like, you're gonna have people give talks, give lessons, and they're gonna be speaking from the most potentially negative space. And in fact, that was one of my first experiences. Going back to church, I had someone in elders quorum say, you know, we we are dirt, we are nothing more than dirt. And I thought uh, the complete opposite. I'm like, hold on, I'm a child of God, I have intelligence. I'm not dirt. That's not the way you you have the right to believe what you believe. but..." It it taught me also, though, that people need to learn and teach the way they teach, because they might connect with someone I can't connect to. But for me, it was definitely like, I was adamant, I'm not going back to church, because there's not going to be anyone relatable, which is the total opposite of what happened.
0: (laughs) Right, which is so great. So it's so great to be uh, proved wrong. (laughs) In some ways, it's so good to be like, wow, I have not been on the right mindset. I'm so glad that God is showing me another way.
1: Absolutely. I'm like, if you can keep showing me things, that's great because I don't want to be limited to my own thoughts.
0: Yeah. Love that. It's interesting to me because even me, when I think about like what it talks about, we are the dust of the earth in the scriptures, we're taught that we, we are nothing more than dust in that kind of scriptural context. Yeah. I often think of it as like, He made us from the dust, right? Like he made Adam from the dust of the earth, but the earth is his creation and we are his creations, right? And so it's interesting how we can elevate even a thought and be like, maybe it's more divine than what we're we're currently viewing it through. And so I'm so grateful for your scripture study. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now, spiritually speaking, to keep yourself on track?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think the most important thing is to read first and foremost because that's educating yourself. And I don't just read like the Bible and Book of Mormon. I love reading. I have the Quran, I have the Torah, I have um, Buddhist scriptures, I have Buddhist prayers that I read regularly, and then my favorite book is the um, Art of Happiness. And yeah, I just I think reading is the most important thing you can do because it comes down to these are words someone else felt inspired to write. And especially healthy books and books about God and compassion and love. They're coming from a space that either someone was themselves hurt or someone themselves, like I say, felt inspired to write them. Uh, and we can learn so much from other people and from other other experiences and other stories that people have that that's the most important thing to me is just reading. And I say this with, I had not picked up a book in probably 10 years before last year, because I just hated reading. I hated it. I was like, ah, it's so boring. Can't I just watch a movie? <laughs> but now I love reading. That's the one thing I, I think I do. And then, of course, prayer is another important thing for me to connect spiritually. I've learned the power of having a voice. And so, prayers, not just in your heart, but verbalizing those, there's so much power. Even the scriptures talk about. God created essentially everything with his voice. And so the frequency of our voice actually carries and connects with people. And that's what I believe with prayer. And that's what I believe with communicating with others. If we don't have that and know our voice and respect our voice. Yeah. We're not going to be able to have that spirituality in our lives and how we choose to express that using our voice is important. That's why I think prayer is, you know, reading prayer are the two most important things for me. (laughs)
0: what changed that got you reading?
1: I told myself after I filed my divorce and and maybe slightly before I filed my divorce, Matt, what have you not been doing in your life that you need to do? And reading was the number one thing. So I bought a whole bunch of books on Amazon and I just put it out there. I was like, Hey, you know, put it on my Instagram. I said, what are some self-help books that people use? And I got some great suggestions. And I just started buying them. And I didn't care if I was going to read the full book or if it was just going to be like three pages. Uh, I just wanted to read. And so, like I say, after everything that happened to me on January 1st last year, I said to myself, Matt, you're going to do all the things that you have not been doing. And I did. And it's been such a cool experience. And reading was the first one.
0: You mentioned the book, The Art of Happiness. Why do you love that book so much?
1: Okay, so I actually have that book in front of me, and I'll show you. I picked this book up. I had not really even heard of this book until I went to Hawaii in August last year. I picked it up at like a thrift store, and it's beat up, and it's like so old. In the back, I actually bought it because someone else wrote this. It says, time passes even when it seems to stand still. And... So I bought it because of that reason. I didn't really know what it was about. I was like, okay, obviously someone's going to write that, and cool. But then I opened it up, and just the chapters were what really hit me. It it breaks down the right to happiness, the sources of happiness, training the mind for happiness, reclaiming our intimate state of happiness, a new model for intimacy, deepening our our connection with others, the value of benefit of compassion, facing suffering. I mean, it just goes on. And every single one of these chapters, I was like, how can I not learn from this? How can I not take something like self-created happiness? I read this chapter and I was like, I have been talking about self-induced suffering and self-induced trauma for a long time. And then I read that. I'm like, self-created suffering. Yeah, that's trauma. We create that a lot ourselves. And I want to read that chapter because I want to see what the Dalai Lama thinks about it. And then shifting perspectives. Just there's so much in this book that I I would recommend everyone get this book. You don't have to get a beat up version. You can get an audio version too. But I love getting it because I can just open it up and like write and highlight. Anyway, this is why I think this is one of my favorite books of all time, if not my favorite book of all time. Who wrote it? It's The Art of Happiness, A Handbook for Living, The Dalai Lama, and Howard uh, Cutler.
0: I've never heard of that book. That is so exciting. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) Tell us why your marriage and then divorce was the hinge point. You shared the story of how God spoke to you, but a divorce is a major life event, And so, did that humble you? And what did that do for you when you went through that event?
1: Yeah. So I, I'll just kind of give a little background to the person I was married to, who's I I still believe is genuinely, at the core, one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Just capable of doing great things. But unfortunately, in the process of marriage and in the LGBTQ community, there's kind of a standard of living that. And I say this with a lot of compassion for people because I understand the trauma that leads to suffering. But there's a lot of self-denial in the process of discovering who you are. And then you kind of accept who you are and you are willing to go out and expose yourself to things that are unhealthy. And not that marriage is unhealthy, but in my marriage, there were times where I betrayed my higher self. And I wasn't even thinking of it that way. After I got divorced, I sat down and wrote a lot of the things that happened um, down and I shared them with some people. And I said, I don't ever want to be this person ever again, Uh, whether it's things I did or were done to me. I don't want to do that anymore. And it was unhealthy and it was unsustainable. And so what happened at the end of my marriage was a complete, utter (laughs) train wreck. I mean, I shared uh, the experience with the, the man who I call my brother and mentor we talked about what happened and i said it was not just a train wreck it was like you're driving down the. it's more like a car accident i'll say this you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you're passing all of these stop signs just flying down the road there's yield signs there's all these clear indications that you're just not paying attention to because you're looking so straightforward that you want to get to the end goal and then all of a sudden the semi truck just smashes into you <laughs> and I had a choice to lay in that car, lay in that trauma, lay in that that wreck, and let it either the fire around me consume me, or get out and start walking on this new road that God had said, "Hey, I've tried to get you to go the, the path different times, and I've sent these red flags, I've sent these, you know, these stop signs your way, and you ignored all of them. But I'm not doing that anymore. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you pretty hard. So this was the catalyst that kind of started all that Lynch, that Lynch point, and then. Four words that actually an ex-boyfriend gave me after my, like, not even after my divorce. I wasn't even started my divorce paperwork at so this time. I met the most amazing person. And I mean, literally, his name is JQ. Uh, I call him my missionary. He said to me on a phone call on January 9th, 2021, when I officially had to realize like my marriage is over. And he said to me, Matt, rejection is God's protection. And that truly was the lynch point. Like I remember that night so clearly I went to a hotel room. My ex-husband was in the, my house, in my bed, and I went to a hotel room completely shattered and broken. And I had no one to talk to because I was so embarrassed by the exact circumstances that happened. And this friend at the time named JQ, he he just, I'd never seen him face-to-face. We met through Instagram uh, I would never seen him face-to-face, only talked to him on the phone for like five minutes once. And he called me on FaceTime and while I was in the hotel room and he told me those, you know, those words, rejection is God's protection, those four words. And I was like, okay, I literally woke up the next morning. And I'm like, okay, hey, whatever God's protecting me from, it's far worse than the experience I went through. So I accept,
0: <laughs> right. I accept it. Wow, rejection is God's protection. Everybody, log that into your brain when you think about all the times you've been rejected. I mean, I've I recently have been thinking a lot about rejection. And it's and that's fascinating to me that you just said that cuz I'm like, wow, how many times has a rejection been God's protection in my life? I I love that. I know you you mentioned this also in your story about self-betrayal. What do you do when you betray yourself? And and then how do you forgive yourself when you know you've done it? You know, you self betrayed.
1: Yeah, I actually made a painting, (laughs) funny enough, about this Um, a painting called Betrayal and Compassion. And I I think we almost become so comfortable with the standard of living around us that we are willing to compromise our higher self without even recognizing we're doing it. Um, I look back over the period of my marriage. And the first year was probably amazing. And then some events happened that I found out about. And at that point, again, I just accepted the circumstances around me and said, okay. And I, I stopped really going to church at that point. Cause when I was married first year, we would go to church together sometimes. And we would, he wasn't LDS, but we'd go to Baptist church and we'd go to LDS church and we would say prayers regularly. And then when I found out what happened in my first year of marriage behind my back, I said to myself and subconsciously clearly, I was like, okay, if this is the standard we're living at, this is marriage and I'll accept it, right? And I I didn't recognize this as betrayal until the events of January 1st last year in my life. But there were times throughout that period of marriage that I just, I would accept the standard and the, the unfortunate circumstances that I, I was willing to put myself in or willing to be put in. And those were all little betrayals that led me to the ultimate maybe betrayal of in my marriage. Uh, but I had to contribute to all of that through betraying my highest self first. Had I ever just used that power of discernment and ever sat down and said, hey, God, show me what's going on and show me how to get away from it. I wouldn't have ever had to experience this, <laughs> the massive train wreck car accident that I had. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have had to, but I'm thankful I did experience it because it led me to that point of forgiving myself and having compassion. I had to write down all the things I did that would have contributed to that betrayal, that would have contributed to those events, and say to myself, Matt, that's not who you are. That's That's what you had done, but it's not who you are. And I wrote it all down. I shared it with some people. I I burned it. (laughs) And then I said, I don't have to feel guilt, shame, any of that over those because the atonement's already taken care of it. And all I need to do, and the art of happiness is a book that shares this same thing, is I have to show myself compassion now. And by showing myself compassion, showing myself self-respect, discipline, I can give that out to others. And so... It's been an awesome process. It's allowed me to forgive a lot of people and also see within other people that I've met their humanity and their need and their desperate need to find a way to forgive themselves for all the times they've betrayed themselves. Do it's you, a beautiful thing.
0: Do you think that everyone self-betrays?
1: I do. I think we do, even in little acts. Even in just like maybe this is a silly example because sometimes I'm guilty of it. But that time at midnight when you're like, "Oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to grab, and I'm guilty of this, grabbing some chocolate, because Costco has these macadamia nut caramel chocolates that I love. <laughs> but I'm like, those are small little acts of betrayal. And whether or not we think of them that way, they just, they kind of are. And when we do it, we're either betraying our physical self or our higher spiritual self. And there's nothing innately wrong with having a snack at midnight, but do I need it? No. Is it something that's gonna contribute health to my life? No, physically, no. So it's just stuff like that. When we do it subconsciously so often, I mean, there's other examples of either not responding to a text message, right? I'm not just not responding to their text message. I'm kind of betraying that opportunity to connect with somebody, you know? And I think about those things as as little acts of self betrayal. But like I say, I've learned a way to have compassion for that because I'm not perfect. I'm not. I'm not going to have every moment of my life be perfect. So forgive myself when I don't respond to that text or when I have that snack because I'm guilty of it so often. But yeah, I just have compassion for myself in those moments.
0: I really appreciate that because I I think all of us, I remember once that I listened to somebody and she specifically said, just never betray yourself. That's the ultimate sin is to betray thyself. I was thinking to myself, oh, great. You know, I've definitely (laughs) betrayed myself. And I I think that all or nothing thinking is just so detrimental to our progress. And and therefore, you know, remember the self-compassion piece because we do self betray a lot because we make promises to ourselves and then we break them. And yeah. that is part of being a human. It's to the point where you get to, okay, no more messing around. We're going to start up leveling. So we're going to feel better overall. I'm really impressed, Matt, that you look inside so much, uh, in this story, you really have not told this story through the mindset of a, of a victim, but as a victor, as somebody who's decided, how did I contribute, (laughs) how did I, how did I add to this? And I, I just want to commend you for that clear work you've done to take personal responsibility when it would be easy to blame others. And I just think that is one of the greatest victories.
1: I think this is a lesson I learned from my mom. And I think it's one that I've carried over since I was a child because I have, everyone's got some sort of trauma, but I've got some childhood events that happened. And then I ended up getting kidney failure at one point and I've lost over 200, probably 50 pounds in life. But every time I, I told myself like, Matt, regardless of what happens, one, you're going to experience really bad situations in the future. They could be worse than what I've experienced. I don't know. And a lot of times they might not be your fault. Like my kidney failure, absolutely not my fault. What happened to me as a kid, absolutely not my fault. But those are opportunities to look inward, find strength, and then use that experience from the past to be like, when you work out at the gym, you have to break down the muscle to get more. So those experiences in the past were breaking me down so I could be strong enough to handle the next one. And not just strong enough, but I would be, and not physically, but I would be strong enough mentally and emotionally and spiritually to handle the next one. And I honestly love it. And every one of those, as I look backwards, I'm like, they had perfect opportunities to relate to the atonement of Christ. They were the perfect opportunity to say, hey, Matt, put yourself in the garden and see him suffering for that moment, for what you went through in that moment. And that's what I love. I'm like, I don't mind adversity. I don't mind pain. I don't mind any of that because it's just an opportunity to connect deeper.
0: Okay. Well, I could definitely take a tip or two on that. I am pain averse. I do not want to suffer. And I think a lot of times in my life, I've just avoided suffering. And I think sometimes that lack of willingness to step into the suffering is maybe where the self-betrayal has come in.
1: You know, it's very possible.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. I do want to ask your thoughts about living a gay lifestyle and choosing to get married. And what are your thoughts on the church's stance on this? And how have you reconciled that?
1: Yeah, I think that's an awesome question. I will say, when I decided to get married, I had the most amazing supportive family. They're all members of the church. I had the most amazing supportive neighbors, friends, even bishops that, you know, they were like, Matt, this is this is what you're choosing to do, and we love and support you. The week before I met my my now ex husband, I met with a bishop, and he said to me something similar. He asked a question. He said, "Matt, how are you going to how are you going to live if you meet somebody that you want to marry and you love? And what are you going to do?" And I looked at that bishop, and he was curious because I he, he knew I was gay and i was very out and open about it at church i would bear my testimony talk about things but i told them, you know bishop i'm gonna pray about it just like you would want every other person to pray when they met met somebody or meet somebody and then of course a week later i met the person i married and i prayed about it and i felt great and you know what i i think that's the way we should live it's a judgment-free space of i don't know what someone else has been through And and whether it's the LGBTQ community or people who've come from drug addiction or a woman who's had an abortion or whatever it is, people feel like they don't fit in. And that's just simply not true. In fact, there's no place you fit in more than with Christ because he relates to every single person on an individual level and especially the church People struggle sometimes when they think as an organization, they make these statements, they do these things, and they do, they make statements, they make mistakes. Guess what? Just like I am human, there's going to be people who are human who are going to say things that I disagree with, that are going to say things that I I truly don't necessarily want to hear in the sense of like, "Mm, that could hurt people. I don't know that you should say that. However, I don't look at it from that perspective. I look at it like, who's really in charge of this church? And that's Christ. And so regardless of a statement that might be made on paper, I know my connection to the Savior. And I know how important it is to me. And I know within this, this beautiful church that we have, there are a lot of broken people that don't feel connected. Like I say, I've, I've met some most amazing people in my singles word. That I met someone who's recovering from drug addiction for 14 years. I've met someone who his girlfriend had an abortion, and he has literally beat himself up over it for years. I met someone who was dating uh, multiple people who were dating and ready to get engaged to someone who turned out to be gay. And then they were like, man, this really affected me. And I went through torment for years because I thought maybe I did it or you know something I did occurred. And that's what I I love. Like, yeah, I can look at it from the LGBTQ gay perspective of saying like, oh, the church does all these things that that I would have to disagree with. But why are those not opportunities to share and relate to other people? Why would I shut that door when there's so much beauty to have? And there's so many great people there. And it's the same thing for the opposite. Like people say, well, if you've chosen the church, that means you've obviously chosen to get rid of all those other experiences. Not necessarily true. I'm willing to go out on dates and talk to people and and uh, get experiences and get to know people because whether or not I would intend to ever you know get married or whatever isn't relevant to me. There's so many beautiful people out there that I just want to get to know and help, and they can help me, and they don't even realize it. I think it's one of those questions a lot of people struggle with: is how do you justify going back to church? How do you reconcile this idea that you could live a celibate life and be happy. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to see myself in a higher perspective and say, why not go back? And why not connect with people? Why should I shut that door? Why should I be angry towards something that's said? It doesn't make sense. And none of that makes sense to me. I I might not have answered the question fully, but I think that's just kind of my thought is, ultimately, why would I shut a door because of a statement someone else made? Or, you know, a, a kind of practice someone else has a procedure someone else has there's there's true reasons for a lot of those things and for a lot of people who struggle and need that exact guidance and need that step-by-step way and procedure there's a lot of people who need that because otherwise they might go off the rails why would i shut the door to that possibility for me to help people as well and people to help me and me to ultimately learn in new ways i I don't see the point shutting that door
0: I think a lot of people feel like, oh, I'm rejected here. My behavior isn't acceptable on some level. I can't freely go get married to whomever I want to go get married to and be able to go to the temple. I had a friend this past week who was struggling so much with reconciling, right? With that she loves that she's seen who are struggling with it. And she's like, I'm just struggling and Mm -hmm. I don't know how to make sense of it. And I, and I, I offered her my thoughts, you know, I offered her my perspective on things and. I said, yeah, I think everybody kind of goes through this. It's just part of our world. We have to figure out how we can make sense of things. And I love how you focused on like this is Christ's church and that you went back to Jesus.
1: Yeah, and I mean it's it's something yeah, a lot of people do struggle with, right? Is reconciling either themselves internally or reconciling with a family member someone they love this idea. I'll share with you from the art of happiness, the moment I knew what I was going to do in life. And I, around beginning of September, I went on a long, long hike that I didn't intend to be a long hike um, in American Fork. I I thought like, oh, I'm going to go to Scout's Waterfall. And apparently the waterfall is completely dried up. And I totally just passed by it and I kept walking. And I probably walked another two and a half, maybe three miles. And I saw a guy, and I'm like, hey, where's this waterfall? And he's like, dude, you passed it forever ago. So I kept hiking and I brought these books with me. And I brought um Book of Mormon and I brought The Art of Happiness. And I had two questions that I wanted to ask. And this was my way. I was like, all right, God, you're gonna tell me what books to bring, and I'm gonna find the answer in those books. So one, I wanted to really cement my testimony of the book of Mormon, uh, which happened on that, that hike, but two, I went and I said, God, I want to know about intimacy and you are going to teach me about intimacy today. And sure enough, again, I just got this book, the art of happiness, and it was maybe a week and a half, two weeks later, I'm on this hike, hadn't really opened the book quite yet. And I, I opened it up to this chapter called a new model for, for intimacy. And in it, and it says right here. I'll just read it because I actually opened it up. Funny enough, to this page this morning, I started reading again. It says there's an incredible diversity among human lives, infinite variations among people with respect to how they can experience a sense of closeness. This realization alone offers us a great opportunity. It means that at this very moment, we have a vast resources of intimacy available to us. Intimacy is all around us. And going back to that that struggle people have, thinking about like how can they be gay? How can I be gay? How can I reconcile being a member of the church? How can they reconcile? How can I reconcile my love for them? Well, that's the problem I think people have is they're trying to just reconcile it in this straight path or into one of these boxes. If I can just put something in a box and say, this is where it belongs. And I I think I shared with you, this is where I got the concept of like our expectations, our limitations. And so if we expect to have to reconcile someone's sexual identity with the church, we're limiting everything that we know about them to those two things. And that's just so unfair to God because he created us to be more than two things. And that's what I love. So I read this and I was like, Matt, you can have intimate relationships, intimate moments, even if it's just a fleeting 10 minute conversation with somebody that you'll never meet again. And that can have a ripple effect for eternity. And that can have an intimate connection for so long that it doesn't matter who they are in these boxes or categories life and society wants to deem them because they're eternal beings. So to me, that was what I love is reading that and saying to myself, why would I put people in a box and have to reconcile them inside of a box? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And it's something that I love about going back to churches. I can meet people and say, hey, I'm gay, let me share with you my story and open the door up for them to be willing to share back. Because so many people have a story they're, um, they, they don't want to share because they're afraid of being judged. They're afraid of being put in those boxes and then being told like, and this is why people struggle to come out, right? Is because they don't want to be judged and put into a box and say, oh, now I'm thought of as lesser. I'm thought of as this. And so people do betray themselves behind closed doors right within the darkness in that process of like lgbtq community there's a lot of unhealthy attitudes and then ultimately those are what we do to betray ourselves and then we get judged on and and it's unfortunate because it's not necessary we we all have the capacity to see each other as eternal see each other as truly infinite variation among people like it says in the book and respect that and respect that we can be close to people. So I reconcile it by just saying, hey, if if Christ found literally found the ability to res- represent every single soul, why would I limit them to what I only know about them based on either a visual or what they, you know, what I see on social media? It's it's not fair. It's not fair to us as ourselves. We actually hurt so many people because we're unwilling unwilling to just have, like, genuine conversations, judgment-free, because we have to reconcile and put people into a box and say, okay, I can love you like this, because you're, you know, especially like LGBTQ, I can love you like this if you act these ways, or I can love you like this if you don't do these things. And it's unfortunate, because we truly limit our capacity to understand the atonement when we do that. So that's, that's kind of how I reconcile. And I recommend to your friend, I recommend to everybody, stop trying to reconcile people into these boxes and put them into those boxes and say, that's how I can understand them. Open your mind up and just let yourself for a second, let yourself feel the atonement and let them experience it the way they do. Even if they don't recognize that's what it is, let them experience it the way they do. And just let your light shine so that way you can be that point on a map that maybe someone comes to. And maybe, you know, through their path, through their struggle, through their suffering, they see happiness or they see a light on that they can go and, and just connect with and talk to. So to your friend, yeah, I would just recommend, like, don't stress the small stuff about the categories that society deems important, a member of the church, a member of other churches. Sexual identity, financial status—those, those those things are so irrelevant, so irrelevant. But you know, that's just kind of the way I'm looking at it.
0: I love it so much. Wow, that—that will bless many people's lives. I know to listen to that and just to to open their minds to the capacity that we all have to be a soft place to land for other people, so that they feel like they are loved and accepted, and that Christ is there for them. Uh, just like we can you know be there for them as well in their journey and and hopefully guide them to Christ in that process because yeah. he can truly heal them, right He can truly do the things that you and I can be catalysts for, but ultimately <laughs> we cannot do right like yep. he is the healer,
1: yep,
0: and he is the one who can help us to even enlighten our minds right and and bring us deeper and more beautiful understanding. <laughs>
1: Amen to that. Yeah, and and I think that's it, right? We we might not be that person who directly influences them to Christ, but we might have, like I say, left your light on just enough for them to get to that door, so they could see the next light, so they could see that next person. And so, even in in dark moments, in personal dark moments, in personal struggles, in personal suffering, if you can just leave that positive light on, you don't know who you're influencing, and ultimately for me, for you, for so many others, that light is, <clears throat> and I believe this for everybody, that light is the light of Christ. And so when they, they get that opportunity to truly connect with Christ, they'll have seen it along the way that they'll recognize it. I always want to leave a light on. And I was going to tell you one of my songs is literally called Leave a Light On by Tom Walker. It's it's one of those that just the first very first time I heard it, it hits so powerful. I'm like, how true is that, that we just have to be able to leave that on because if, if no matter what darkness someone's in, if we're that little smile that brightens their day, that might make them research or find what made them feel that way in just a smile, whatever it is.
0: I know that you're an artist. What is the purpose of the art for you? Is there a purpose or is it, is it just the power to create? What does it do for you?
1: Okay. So this is a really awesome question. And I had never really, okay. I had picked up a paintbrush once in my life before. And someone very close to me said to me when I started painting maybe two years ago, like, Matt, that is terrible. You are not a good artist. And it was within like maybe 15 minutes of me starting a painting. And I looked at it. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I kind of suck at art. But that was so not true. You're amazing. Everyone, well, well, and I think everyone can be an artist in their own right, a creator in their own right. But I started painting on November 1st last year, officially. I was like, I, <laughs> I had these canvases in the basement of my house and I didn't have paint. And I was like, I have these blank canvases. I have things that I've written down. The first painting I ever did was called Betrayal. Uh, And it ties to the second one, which was compassion. But I was like, I have these canvases. Why have I not? And I've written down these thoughts. Why not express them on canvas? Why not just get them out there? And that's what I've done. And so painting to me has been a way to create my emotions, my feelings, whether it's a song I relate to or an event that happened in my life. It's just been something I've been able to do and just put it on a canvas, And whether or not someone looks at it and sees what I intended, or looks at it and finds something else, or <laughs> if they look at it and they're like, "Oh my gosh, that's awful." Totally okay, totally okay, because I I painted it for specifically uh, what I was going through, why I wanted to express it, and I love it. I mean, I've admitted I painted, and I'd love to show you sometime. Yeah, I'm gonna have an art show this year at some point, but I've painted some admittedly like very challenging pieces to look at. I, I have a few pieces of art that I put mirrors on and they are about self-reflection. And so that's what it does for me. It allows me to reflect on myself. It allows me to reflect on events and just release them in a creative way. That and I use my hands a lot. So my, a lot of my paintings have just been with not just brushes and stuff but with my hands because I love that I love that getting dirty and creating. But yeah, that's that's what painting does for me. Just allows me to express be creative and then look at the end product and say, yeah, I relate
0: and you're also a pickleball master (laughs) i play a lot of pickleball
1: i do that's a thing yeah yeah
0: (laughs) so i i play pickleball twice a week i and i was playing a little bit more but i i hold that paddle too tight so it hurts my arm a little bit after a couple of days like i can do it twice a week and be fine but if i play like four five times a week
1: Okay. I have
0: to get well, tennis I, elbow. What's, what's my deal? I have so much stress when I play pickleball. Like, what's <laughs> the deal? I love it, but I just can't play that much.
1: You know what? I am going to get you a paddle that is from a company called Procanix, and it actually helps with tennis elbow. And oh. I have some of these paddles. So I'm going to give you one. And it's an awesome paddle. It's an awesome oh, paddle. Yeah.
0: Oh, my word. I am seriously, I feel so loved right now. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh my goodness, you guys. Wow, that was unexpected. What a joy. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you so much. Oh yeah. And also, I know that like we're coming down to it and we didn't even talk about the fact that you lost 250 pounds.
1: Yes, yes. That was a long process. In between there was kidney failure and a transplant and a whole bunch of stuff. But yeah, I've lost it and I've loved it.
0: Wow, that is... So insanely amazing and kidney transplant. I read one of your posts and this is maybe where we're going to end is like you talked about, I don't know if this is because of the transplant, like, I don't know what, what is a kidney transplant? Can you tell us a little bit about like how yeah. intense that is to go and undergo a kidney transplant?
1: Yeah. And just a quick, very quick, like the kidney is one of the most important things in your body. It is your filtration system. Uh, it takes toxins out of your blood and then you urinate them out. So for 21 months, I didn't urinate myself. I had to have a machine to literally pull the toxins out of my blood six days a week at home for three to four hours a day. But that was the biggest process. The actual transplant, I'm blessed that at the time in the church, we called these home teachers. After 21 months, I'm blessed that my parents' neighbor, who is a home teacher, minister, uh, was able to give me a kidney. One of the most genuinely amazing men in the world. He was there at the temple with me, just able to experience that together. But it was it was amazing. I mean, I felt instantly, as soon as I got the kidney, better. Because I finally was given a body part back that, like I say, just gets rid of your toxins. And I, I look at it from the lens also of that's my life. Like That kidney transplant showed that I need to filter out a lot of toxic stuff in my life. And so it was a physical lesson I learned so that I could learn that on a spiritual lesson as well, and an emotional and mental lesson. So I, I'm thankful for the kidney transplant. The process itself was difficult. Dialysis is a difficult thing. Kidney failure sucks. Anyone who's going through it, I have so much love and compassion for, and I pray that they get a the transplant if they're eligible. But it was a cool physical lesson that I can now apply to my other parts of my life, how to filter out toxins. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you you talked about in your, one of your Instagram posts about how you were in so much pain. And I don't know if it was from the kidney transplant, but you mentioned that you were in, it was like the hardest day. I think you labeled it the hardest day or something. And you literally were physically like having a hard time getting out of bed and you had an appointment with this mistake present. Yeah. No, I think, I think
1: that was talking about, and I'm remembering the post one of the hardest physical days was before, like to find out, I found out that I had kidney failure. I couldn't even move. I physically couldn't even move that day. It was March oh, March 11th is when I was diagnosed of 2013. My lungs had collapsed. I had an infection that went through my whole body. My lungs collapsed. I had to have lung repair surgery on my left lung. My kidney, one kidney, because I only had one, completely got destroyed. And it was the most painful physically painful day of my life. But yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. I I have times to reflect on those and then no matter what the pain or whatever I've gone through, I look at it as just the opportunity to, re- to use as strengthening the future. So yeah, I, I I definitely have days like that where I look at them and I say, man, that was so painful. That was so rough. But how did it contribute to where I'm at now? And, and how does it contribute to the fact that Man, I'm living a really good life, yeah. <laughs> regardless regardless of circumstances, meeting amazing people like you. And I'm blessed to be able to go through all of that, like kidney failure, weight loss, divorce, trauma, whatever it is, because it's led me to a chance to talk to you, Tracy, and you're just such a sweetheart and amazing.
0: Well, thank you That's- so much. Thank <laughs> you. Remind me of Victory Frankel's Life Search for Meaning. Or, have you read that book?
1: <laughs> I've read snippets
0: okay well you're just he talks about finding meaning in your suffering like to make 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 it meaningful because you can just suffer if you want but if you make it meaningful it can actually redeem redeeming the negative it's redeeming the the challenges of your life and that you can in fact do so which is uh revolutionary in its own way so thank you so much Matthew, you are a blessing to all of us. We, I'm sure I'm going to get people to be like, get him back on here. We want to hear more from Matthew. No. Um, but thank you. Thank you. And uh, tell us how we can reach you. How can we connect?
1: Instagram is probably the most connected way I am other than Facebook. Uh, but my Instagram is ML underscore Webster. I am working on some other projects, which I'm excited for. I haven't shared really with anyone. I think I shared with you obviously, and that'll be a way to connect in the future. But for now, yeah, my Instagram is probably the place I'm most active and my Facebook.
0: And you guys, just so you know, Matthew is gonna be a life coach coming July, right? You're gonna be done with your certification. Is that true?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna actually be done with my master's program. And so I'm getting my master's in psychology um, with an emphasis in life coaching and, so yes, I will uh, yeah, I'll have my my program under my belt and ready to launch.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's so exciting. Everybody follow him on Instagram, then you can see all the details as well and what's what's coming up. We're so grateful for you and I am so grateful for you. Thank you so much, Matthew.